I'm ready for the word of God. Excellent, excellent. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've already done this morning. Thank you for what you've been speaking into our hearts. Thank you for all the kids and, and all that they're doing. And, and Lord, what you're doing in their lives. Lord God, and we just, Lord, we thank you for what you've done amongst us this morning. Lord, but we know, Lord, you're not finished yet. Lord, and I thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, that what it does. It brings truth. It brings life. It brings hope. It brings correction. All those things, Lord, that, that your word of God does. And I pray, Lord, it will just accomplish what you desire it to accomplish this morning. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So we're going to be starting a uh, brand new series, um, brand new series today, um, and this series is going to take us right up until um, right up until Christmas. Um, that's the dreaded C words being mentioned. <laughs> Once you get into September, especially if you're working like schools and stuff, it's like it starts to become all about Christmas. This is the autumn term; it's called in schools. This is the one that leads up to Christmas. Um, yeah, it won't be long before all this Christmas stuff is in the shops. If it's not already, probably is. Mince pies are probably already in Tesco's. That's September. <laughs> I'm not joking. I expect they are. But anyway, there we go. But yeah, we're going to have loads of great stuff coming up at Christmas. Of course, it's going to be good, exciting stuff. Anyway, it's, but this series is going to go right on until Christmas. It's going to be this morning. It's like an intro to it, and there's another 12, 12 weeks. It won't necessarily be me every Sunday, um, but it's going to be 12 weeks. Okay. And we're going to be doing the same series uh, across family church congregations. We're all we're all doing it in every all of our locations over there. We're all doing the same series. Okay, so what we're going to do is a series called the Family Church Values. Now, if some of you have been around for a long, long time in Family Church, you may recall the Family Church Values. I don't remember Family Church Values. I don't remember anything about them? Um, did a very kind of brief. If you were going to our Sunday afternoon services last year at Cornerstone. And we did a kind of a very brief kind of like overview um, of them. Um, but we kind of did this properly. It was probably seven, eight years ago, it must have been, um, that we first talked about these, about our values um, as a church. And we've, we've updated them. Some are slightly different, not that they weren't valuable things anymore. We just, we just reworded some stuff. Um, some have changed slightly. Um, so we're going to be going through this in all our locations over the next, over the next uh, 12, uh, 12 weeks. You know, I, I talk a lot about um, culture and diff- culture in different areas of life. And, you know, and everything has uh, a culture. Everything has a culture. You know, if, you, if you're in a place of work, that place of work has a culture. It may not even be a great culture. <laughs> I don't know if your work, place, my place of work is, is brilliant because I get to work in a, ch- in a church environment. And I know I'm very blessed uh, to work Wednesday when Wendy came to the recent family church staff day out. And we just... We've never ever done it before. We're just all the family church staff. We just kind of well had a day out playing volleyball. Also, there's about 25 staff across family church, across our locations, and um, and yeah, we've had a great day. And uh, Wendy was just saying to me after she said said to me that I'm so blessed to work in a in a Christian environment. And, and in many ways, I totally agree with her. It's absolutely true. It's is a great to work in a Christian environment. Everyone's for you. You don't have to deal with you know, backstabbing, gossip, all that kind of stuff that some of us you often have to do with in a secular environment. You don't have to deal with moaning, complaining, you don't have to deal with any of that kind of stuff, which can be all part of the workplace. So it's, it's great to be, to, just to work in that, in that culture. It really is, it really is great and a, an honor to do that. But everything has a culture. You know, any part of life ha- has a culture. A workplace has a culture. Uh, a family has a culture. Uh, a school has a culture. Um, a, an office has a culture. A marriage has a work. As I said, marriage. A marriage has a culture. Um, you know, just in, in any context, everything has a culture. Has a, a certain way of doing things, and it, sometimes it may not be great. I don't know whether it's necessarily good or or bad. Um, and that's in that scenario. But everything has uh, has a culture. 
and, and I've talked about this before, but this is a context I want to talk about this morning, is about, and that can be what I call defined or default culture. Is, is, is everything will have a culture, and we can either just kind of just let it happen, and what I would call a default culture, which just happens by default, or we can be intentional about it, and we intentionally define what we want that culture to look like. Does that make sense? Um, you know, Wendy working in a school, Danielle, others working in schools, that this is one thing they, they've done. Very, this is, it's been a kind of a newish thing in school circles, but to really try, I don't always get it right in school settings, but they try and define what they want the culture of the school to look like. It's become much, much more of a thing in, in, in recent years. And, you know, not to say it's just default, where the children can just run riot, <laughs> let's say, um, but, you know, to make it much more defined. This is what our school, this is what our school ethos is. <laughs> Maybe that happens anyway, I don't know. But there we go. Um, but everything has a culture, and it can either just be a default, you just let it happen, or it can just be defined. Marriage is a great example. I often use the analogy of marriage. A lot of you are married, so I use that analogy. There's, you know, a great marriage doesn't just happen. Has anyone discovered this? A great marriage, it doesn't just happen. Even if you marry the perfect person, of which, of course, I did. <laughs> so she, she, she scribbled that, but she wrote that bit herself. <laughs> no. even, if you, even if you married a perfect person, you still will not have a perfect marriage. You still will not have a great marriage. It, it just doesn't just magically happen. Does that make sense? You have to be intentional about it. And obviously, the husband and a wife have to be intentional. I totally agree. For it to be everything, it, should be, it can't just be one, one-sided. Um, it has, has to be both, you know, really wanting that to happen. Of course, that's true. Okay. But a great marriage, it doesn't just magically happen. It has to be, it has to be defined. It's like both people have to want to desire that. It's like, well, this is what the culture of our marriage to be. That love's going to be, and as a Christian marriage, you know, love's going to be the center of it all. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 often gets read at weddings, isn't it? And love is patient, love is kind, keeps no record of wrongs, keeps short accounts, all that kind of stuff about what, what does love actually look like. That's, that's, that's what, what Paul was doing there. In 1 Corinthians 13, he was defining what, what love looks like, isn't it? What, what the outworking, not just in a marriage context, but in that marriage context, this is what love looks like. Does that make sense? So again, he was defining it. He didn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't just a default. So, so, so great cultures or, or great values, they don't just kind of just happen by themselves. We have to be intentional about it and find out what the Bible says, of course, on, on all these things. And having a defined culture means having defined values. And, you know, I really, really encourage you, if you've never, ever thought about this stuff uh, in, in your family life, in, in your marriage life, talk about this stuff. What, what do I want my marriage to look like? What do I want my family to look like? What, what, are there some things that we need to change? Because if you think this, if those things are going to be everything God wants it to be without thinking about this stuff and talking about this stuff, it, it won't. We have to be intentional about it. Great, great, great family environments, great marriages, great workplaces, they don't just, just happen by themselves. Does that make sense? We have to be intentional about it. So defined culture means having defined values. And, and very much as a church, as, as a pastors of a family church, uh, across all our locations, we very much believe in having a defined culture. We want to have a, a, you know, a culture. We've, we've, talk, we've had our kids' church up here this morning. We very much have a culture that we want kids to feel very much part of the church. They're not the future church either. I wouldn't even say that. I think that's wrong thinking. They're not the future church. They are the church. Right? I've heard people say that before, oh yeah, they're the future church. No, no, they're not the future church. They are the church already. <laughs> and not like, well, they're just the kids over there who are a bit annoying, a bit loud. No, they are absolutely integral part of who we are as a church family, as a church body. Amen? So that's an intentional culture. And Kids Church itself has a great culture of encouraging kids, of loving kids, of encouraging them to, to pray and to grow in God and to grow in their relationship with him and to have fun and all that kind of great stuff 
that, that goes on. So as a church, we very much believe in having a defined culture. And loads of churches think the same way. And, and as a have a defined culture, to have defined values. So this is what these family church values are. So they're defined values. We've got 12 different ones. 12 is a good spiritual number. <laughs> so we've got 12, 12 defined values, which, of course, are based on biblical principles. Didn't want to come up with good ideas. They're very much based on biblical principles, of course. Because this is what we want the culture of the church to be. Does that make sense? You all still with me? Fabulous. This is what we want the culture of the church to be. So before we kind of get into that, I just wanted just to read a little bit from, from the book of Daniel. I've been reading through Daniel recently. It's, it's a great book. I know I say that every scripture that I read. <laughs> but it, but it, is, it, is, it is, a great, is a great book. I really encourage you to read, uh, read Daniel. Some of the stuff at the end is, is kind of about end time. still very well worth reading, but it's kind of about end time stuff. But kind of the first six and seven chapters, just kind of about the life of Daniel. It's, it's life-changing stuff if you just read what it says and apply it to your life. Because Daniel was kind of like a man of a different spirit. And this is what it says in Daniel 1, verse 3 to 17. So there's 14 verses we're going to read. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, which is where... Daniel and his friends found themselves. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were entered the king's service. After, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel named Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. And you probably had of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It was in Daniel 4 or 5. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile, this is the bit I really want to talk about. Remember, it's all about having a defined culture. And Dan, Daniel was a, a man of a different spirit, and he found himself in the land of Babylonians, and God was, was blessing him and bringing him into position uh, in, in, in that place, just like he did with Joseph you know, in Egypt and, and did with many others, was, was, was just wanted to be glorified in, in his life, even though he found himself in a, in a culture that wasn't necessarily great, a culture that wasn't, wasn't following God. But Daniel was a man of a different spirit. Verse 8, so Daniel 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned you your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would never have my head because of you. So basically this was all about food in this context and about... Uh, Daniel's like, well, I don't need to eat the raw food. God's going to kind of just bless me, uh, bless me anyway. And then the official was like, well, if you don't eat that, you're going to look malnourished and stuff. And then basically I'm going to get my head, head cut off because that would have been a reality then. So verse 11, Daniel says to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat, eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the raw food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the raw food. So the guard took away the choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. As you continue to read on, Daniel, you see how God blesses and prospers him in that in interpreting dreams of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, as others, Daniel gets rescued from the lion's den, of course. Um, I think it was King Darius at that point. Um, there's all kind of like interesting stuff going on. But God, God blessed Daniel and, and his friends uh, 
during this during this time. But the whole reason they got they were blessed and, and God used them is they made a decision not to conform to the culture in which they found themselves. Amen. They made an intentional decision. This goes back to defined or default. They didn't just, just kind of default. If they defaulted, they probably just would have backslid, become like Babylonians, and you know, I would have missed out on a whole lot of stuff that God had for them. But they made a decision, and we are, we are going to do things God's way, and we don't even want the raw choice food. We don't even need that, because God's going to bless us anyway, right? So they made an intentional decision not to follow the culture of that land, and, and Daniel, that continues to happen you know, with the big, the big statue that Nebuchadnezzar uh, creates and they refuse to bow down to it and they get thrown into the fiery furnace. God rescues. God rescues him. Well, I think I would say it was Jesus. So it talks about even Nebuchadnezzar was like, hang on a minute. It's like the Son of God is, is in the fire with them. So I would say that's a pre incarnate form of Jesus, um, even at that point. You know, and, and the rescue from the, from the lion's den, as I said. So there's all these kind of things where they just trust God in it all, but they would not conform to the culture of the land. That's kind of the main point I want to make. And that's why, why God blessed them. They were going to live out God's culture and God's values. Whatever the values of the land were, whatever, whatever they did, they were chose to be people of a different spirit and to live out God's cultural values. Amen? The Apostle Paul has stuff to say on this in, in the New Testament. I often read the scripture. I love the scripture. I told you I said that about every scripture. <laughs> anyway, Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. And um, we have to remember, remember the context of this. Paul was a, Paul was a, Paul was a Roman. This, this is written in the book of Romans. It's written to the church in Rome. And, and Paul was a Roman citizen himself, the Bible tells us. It doesn't ever explain why he was a Roman citizen, whether it was by birth or how it was, because he was high up in the kind of Jewish hierarchy. So it never really explains, uh, it says he was a Pharisee, he was high up in the Jewish hierarchy, but it never explains why he was a Roman citizen. Um, but he knew kind of how the culture, remember they were in a Roman culture, Israel was in a Roman Empire, as all of Europe was at that stage. And, and it didn't have a great culture. The culture was, was awful. You know, we kind of look in our world around today and we kind of think about all the things that are going on. There are a lot of things going on. But even in this context 2,000 years ago, there were a lot of stuff went on. Society was not great at all. It was not, it was not fair. There, were, there was not justice. You know, Jesus himself, Pontius Pilate, knew he was innocent and still sent him to his death. You know, there, there wasn't justice. Of course, that was God's plan. But my point is, but there still wasn't justice, right? He knew full well Jesus was innocent and still did it anyway just because he was scared of the people. He was scared of a, of a riot happening. So he just sent Jesus to his death. Anyway, even though he knew he was innocent, you know, that's not justice, right? <laughs> okay, so that's, that's kind of how society was. It wasn't a great culture in, in which the, the disciples and, and the culture in which Jesus spoke into was not a great culture. Women basically had no rights. You know, there, was not, there was not fairness. There was not justice. You know, slavery was rife. Prostitution was rife. If you couldn't pay your bills, then you were sold off into slavery. I mean, this, this, is, just kind of, this is reality of what happened. This is all stuff that Paul's talking into. And Paul would have understood this system inside out, being a Roman citizen. He knew how it worked. You know, the Roman army were brutal. They did what, basically whatever in the world they liked. And he just kind of had to you know, put up with it. They want to take over a country. They just did it. They wanted to kill you. They killed you. If, they, if you're in their way, if they want some land, only one thing's going to happen. They're going to end up with the land, and you're going to end up dead. You know, that's just the reality of how it worked. So you know, these were crazy times. You know, we think we're in crazy times, and we are in some very interesting times. But even what Paul was speaking into, what Jesus spoke into, there's some interesting cultural stuff going on. So this is just a, so you have to, I'm saying all that to get the context of what Paul's saying here. Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, remember he's writing to the church in Rome, as well, the very center of the Roman Empire. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a loving, living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
So remember all this cultural stuff going on that's not, not great. And Paul's response to that is, do not conform to the pattern of this world. This world has got, this world has got a pattern. This is true for us here, isn't it? 2,000 years later, this world absolutely has a pattern. It's got a way of doing things. And, and a lot of things, the way the world does stuff is, is not great. It's very, very, very selfish or self-focused, all about me, me, me. You know, the very word selfie that we have on these, it's like one of, that's a great example of it. The whole thing about selfie is about, it's about self, 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 self. Right? That's kind of the world that, sadly, that, uh, sadly we live in, but we're not in the world. We're, we're, we're not of the world, sorry, but we're in the world. That's what Jesus said about this stuff. Amen. So Paul was uh, just encouraging us, do not conform to the pattern of this world. This world, world has a pattern, but for us as believers, we, we are called not to conform to that, to conform to God's pattern. And God has a totally different culture, a totally different pattern of doing things to the world. Amen? God's kingdom is totally different to the dominion of darkness. Scripture says we've been brought out of the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his son. And the dominion of darkness, which is what the world is living in, and, and, and doesn't know that, it's kind of, bl- many cases, just blind to that. But we have a totally and radically different culture. Amen? As Christians. Totally different. Amen? We have a totally different view of, yeah, a totally different view of marriage. We have a totally different thing of just, just the values in life. We have a different view about money. It's not all of it's about getting more money. We have a heart of generosity. Amen? We believe in faith of the marriage. We believe marriage has been a man and a woman. Even that's you know, being, being challenged by the very heart of our society. Things that's been, was understood and accepted you know, for thousands of years. Right? So we, we have a completely different culture as, as believers. Amen? Everyone agree? Yeah. Praise God. So do not conform to the pattern of this world. That's what Paul was encouraging us in. So let's get back to the family church values. So this is why we have defined values. They're all based on scriptural principles. About, this is our defined culture as a church. We're not going to conform to the pattern of this world. Whatever the world, the world does, what the world does. But we're going to conform to something else. We're going to conform to what the Bible says. Amen? So we base these values as pastors on scripture. It's how, how do we see ourselves as a church? What does it mean to be a body of believers? What does it mean to be part of family church? What does it actually look like? Okay, so here, here they are. And they'll come up one by one. Okay, they're not necessarily order of importance, apart from the very first one. Um, they're not necessarily in order of importance. I may not even teach them in this order, okay, but this is the order that I'm going to use them right now. Okay, so I'm going to just to mention each one briefly, but we'll spend a whole week talking about each of these. Okay, so firstly, we are Christ-centered. So, this, okay. so as I said, these aren't in the order of importance except for this one, because it absolutely is, is the most important of the 12. Okay, we kind of got, we, as pastors, we wrote some kind of stuff off the back of this. What does that actually mean? We're, we're committed to keeping Jesus and his kingdom at the center of our lives and the center of our church. That's essentially what it means. Is, is everything is about, essentially, is about Jesus. Amen? That Jesus is the head of the church. As pastors, we have responsibilities in, in a church, but the worldwide church and even in and this church as a, as a local church, Jesus is the head of it. We all need to understand that and, and appreciate that's the reality. Jesus is the head of the church. He said he would build his church. The gates of hell, hell, gates of Hades themselves cannot stop what, what, what God's desire is for the church. What Jesus wants to build in the church cannot be stopped by hell itself. It's got, it's got no chance against what Jesus wants to do in the church. So, so as a church, we're committed to keep Jesus and, the, and his teaching and, and his kingdom and everything he taught about his kingdom and those kingdom values to keep them at the very center of our lives personally and at the very center of our church. So that will always be central to everything that we do. Amen? We are Christ-centered. Amen? We're committed to do, living out what Jesus said about building our lives. I talked about this last week about building our lives upon the rock. And when the wind and the storms and the waves come, 
we, we have a short and firm foundation. That's what we build for our lives on, what Jesus said. If you said, if you obey me and you obey my teachings, we build our principles on a life of what Jesus and what he taught and his kingdom. Amen? We keep Jesus at the center in everything. Praise God. Secondly, we're commissioned. Okay. Came up. Excellent. So we, we live passionately. So what this means, we, 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 we're commissioned. We understand the great, what is often called the great commission, Matthew 28 or, or Mark 16. You know, that we, we're called to go into all the world and, and, to, and to share the good news for people. You know, this world needs good news. Everyone agree? More, more than ever, it's always been true, but more than ever, the world needs good news. There's not a lot of good news about. If you watch the news for more than two minutes, you're not going to find much good, right? And if you watch for a whole half an hour, um, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, myself and I think it was a, I think it was you two, wasn't it? Or maybe it was Jack as well. All four of us. We watched the news recently. It must have been about two weeks ago. And I've never I, I, I'm serious. I've never known a news like it. After half an hour, I like needed a lie down. I'm not even joking. It's like it was like bad news, bad news, bad news, bad. News. I mean, there must have been about like 15 stories. You know, it was COVID and Afghanistan, there's the war in Ukraine, there's all the economic stuff. It was like bad news, bad news, bad news. It was, it was just insane. I've, I've literally never known a half hour of news like it. Man, and if, and if you haven't got God, no wonder people are struggling with mental health and anxiety and stress and they watch this stuff and, and the fear and, and everything surrounding it. And if you need to switch, switch your news off, I'd encourage you to do that. I'm still, and I'm not, I'm not even joking. If you need to switch it off, it brings you anxiety. Just don't even watch it. It's not going to help you. And just you know, spend a half an hour reading the Bible instead. <laughs> You'll get a lot more out of it, trust me. Amen. Anyway, so secondly, we're, we're, we're commissioned. We, we understand that this world needs Jesus. We needed Jesus and, and this world needs Jesus. And we're, we're passionate about sharing the gospel, both in a local sense, our local community, in a national sense, across in our country and, and across the world. And there's lots of missionaries we support. As, as Family Church, we had a mission Sunday recently. And I don't just mean Family Church missionaries, because there's loads of tons of people doing great stuff all across, all across the world. So we're, we're passionate about that, that we're called to go into all the world, make disciples baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we're baptizing next week. We, we believe that's it's, it's fundamental to the gospel, amen? To baptize people and to make them disciples. Praise God. So we're, we're passionate about that. We're not inward focused. We're very much outward focused, amen? Number three, we're disciples. So we understand it's, it's, it's been part of family church. We understand we're, we're discipled people we are, and we are disciples of Jesus. Remember I just said, Matt, Jesus called us to go and make disciples. Didn't they go and make Christians? I'm not saying Christians are a bad term, but what I am saying is we actually, essentially, we are disciples. Because the word Christian just means follow Jesus. That's, it's, an, it's, it's a great term. Okay, but ultimately, we are disciples of Jesus. And what that means is we're, we're, we're committed to growing to all that God has called us to be. Continually transformed by his word, that's the Bible, and, and by the Holy Spirit. To be continually transformed, to, to grow into all that he has for us. Amen? Now Jesus said, himself said, he said, if you cannot take up, uh, take up his cross and follow him, then we cannot be his disciples. And what that's talking about is, is leading a disciplined life. The word discipline and the word disciple have got the same root word, of course. It means living a disciplined life. And choosing to go God's way to stay on that narrow road that leads to life. And grow into all that God desires for us to be. Amen. Number four, we desire to be an empowering church. So what that means is by equipping people, being an empowering church by equipping disciples to serve God in all spheres of life. So we understand that we ourselves are disciples, but we also, as, as, as people of God, we want to be equipped to help other people to live a discipled life. 
Amen? In all spheres of life, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your family, with your kids, in your finances. And that's why we talk about, we talk about very practical stuff. You know, and I know sometimes people can think, well, hang on, why are you just talking about the practical stuff? What about the spiritual stuff? No, absolutely, the practical stuff absolutely is spiritual. You know, the whole of like Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus was just talking about practical stuff, right? He's talking about, right, this is, let's, let's talk about your finances. Let's talk about adultery. Let's talk about marriage. Let's, let's talk about love and hate. So this is, this is, that's what happened or not, right? Let's talk about fasting, what that looks like. Let's talk about prayer, what that looks like. That's what, incredible Sermon on the Mount. That's what it's all about. Jesus was like, well, you've heard it said this. This is, what I, this is the truth. This is what you need to hear. This is reality. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And Jesus did that over and over again on practical things. I absolutely will continue to talk about practical applications of the word of God. Amen. We don't apply it to our lives. It's just a history book, anyway, right? You know, theology has to has to get down to reality. Theology is amazing, and, and just theology just means a study of God. Theo is a Greek word for God. Theology just means a study of God. Absolutely, we should have great theology. We should understand who who God is and what the Bible says about who He is. But it has to become a reality in our lives. Otherwise, the Bible just becomes some dry book, or it's just some history book where we're just studying about the Jewish nation four thousand years ago, or in the Old Testament, you know, or two thousand years ago. And in, in the New Testament, and it doesn't make any difference to our lives. It needs to have, be a reality in our lives. Amen. Come to life in us and change us. Amen. So we want to, so we want to equip you, and we need to be we need to be able to equip others as men as well. Amen. So, so we're empowering people and empowered people. Number five, we're Bible believing. Amen. Now, the Word of God is an incredible book. You know, written two thousand or, or longer years ago, but. This, this book will change your life. If you apply the principles of it um, you know, to our lives, it will completely change us. Amen? So we, we're committed to walking in the unchanging truth of God's word, resolved to never add from it or to take from it, to have some own kind of, our own version of it. What does the word of God say? Amen? What does the word of God say on it? For that to be our first port of call, what does the word of God say on this? What do we need to do in this situation that we... we, we the Bible is, is fundamental to who we are as Christians. Amen? And applying it to our lives. You all still with me? Yeah. Fabulous. Okay, good number six. We are a spiritual people. You may think, well, of course we're spiritual. We're, we're Christians. But what, what, we, what, as pastors, we mean by that is we acknowledge the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that we are filled, empowered, and led daily by the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit dwells within us. You know, uh, it's, uh, Paul talks a lot about this. You know, we're temples of the Holy Spirit. And that should outwork in our lives. We're filled by the Holy Spirit. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Equipped by the Holy Spirit. Led, led by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we are spiritual people. We are not, we are not no, I did a whole <laughs> message on this once, or maybe a series of messages might be, about we are not normal human beings. Turn to the person next to you say, you are not normal. <laughs> there you go. That's probably true in a lot of different ways. But the reality is, we aren't normal human beings. Okay, I don't mean we're weird, but what I mean by that is we're spiritual. We've become spiritually alive. Amen. That's why the way the Bible describes it. And if you talk to people out in out in your world, then that's why spiritual things, especially in the West, people just just. Don't really know even know what how, they don't really know even know where to go with it, do they? I think out in our world, people understand they're a body, and they understand they have mind, will, and emotions, and kind of everyone's good to that point. But then we start to talk about the spirit, like, well, this all seems a bit freaky and weird. I don't understand what this is all about. 
But we are spiritual people. We are, we are body, we are soul, that's our mind, our will, and emotions, and we are spirit. And for those of us as believers, we're spiritually alive. Amen? We're a brand new creation. We're made new. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We are, we are, we are not normal. We're being led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Praise God. Number seven, we're worshippers. And of course, this doesn't just talk about just in praise and worship. We worship in every area of our lives. But, but that's one context we want to talk about it in. We passionately praise. We're intimate in our worship. We're hungry for the presence of God. We are passionate about worshiping God. We think God, God deserves to be worshipped. Amen? You know, the, way, the word worship, it literally means worth-ship. It, it's, it's a recognition of what God is worth. And saying, God, that's what I, I lay down. And that's what I lay down before you. And then, so in our, in our praise and worship, we, we are passionate about that. We want to be close to God. We want to be connected with God. We're hungry for the presence of God. We, we need God's manifest presence in our lives. Now, of course, God is always with us. Jesus said he'd never leave us or forsake us. Of course, his presence is always with us. You know, David, King David in Psalm 139 said, where can I go from your presence? If I go to the depths, you know, you're still there. And if I go up to the heavens, you're still there. You know, God is, God is everywhere and God is, God is within us through the Holy Spirit, as we've just talked about. We're spiritual beings. But there is also the manifest presence of God. And Wendy talked about that just a minute ago when she, what she experienced the first time she ever went in church at, at 21. That we need the manifest presence of God to change people's lives. Amen. To see people set free and healed and restored and delivered and made new. Amen. But we are worshippers. We're passionate about, about worshipping God. Our worshippers in, in every area of our lives. Amen. That we are family. So as, as a church, we are a church body. We call ourselves Family Church. We don't just want that to be just a, a clever, uh, nice name. We want it to be a reality that we see ourselves as a church family, as a church body. Now, of course, that's true in a local sense. It's true as a world sense. Of course, all the Christians that are, the hundreds of millions or billions of Christians that are around the world, we're all one church family and one church body. Amen. But for here of us, in this local expression of church here, we're, we're a church. We celebrate our diversity in culture and age. We've got huge age ranges across our congregation, different cultures, different, you know, committed to developing healthy relationships. Amen? Do you want us to be truly a church family? Not to be some nice name or something. We put a stick on our T-shirts. We are family. Well, that's nice. Now, what does that actually mean, um, mean in reality? To actually be a church family. We all care for each other. We talk to each other. You know, we, we connect with each other. And, and to be diverse ages and cultures and backgrounds. Amen? And that, and that, I mean, that is true already. But we want to continue to grow in that. Number nine, we're servant-hearted. So we're servant-hearted people. So we're, we're, we're committed, one, to serve one another. And we've got so many great people on teams in this, in this, in this church. There's loads of different ways you can be involved if you're not involved already. You can come and speak to us. About serving one another and about serving the purpose of God in our generation. Amen. You know, Jesus himself, he talked about himself, didn't he? About how he described himself as kind of the servant king. He came to, not to be served, but to serve. To give himself as a ransom for many, is what Jesus said about himself. And Jesus was the ultimate example of servanthood. And Jesus was the one who had every right to order people around, to tell people what they should or shouldn't be doing, because, because it was, he was God on earth. But he was still servant-hearted. Amen? So that's a, we want it to be a cultural value of who we are. Amen? We're servant-hearted before God, and we, we love serving other people. Number 10, we're community-minded. So our heart's desire is to, is to be a church that are the hands and feet of Jesus in our local communities, to truly make a difference in our community. In this, this area, this lovely part of the world, Southampton Waterside and, and the surrounding New Forest, 
you know, to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. If we can help people practically, let's do that. If we can take people on trips to the Wars Valley, let's do that. Can we always do everything that we may want to do, or maybe not quite yet, but the principle is we absolutely want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen? We want, want Jesus to be glorified in our local communities. We want God to, to, to use us as a church. This comes back again to being outward focused and not inward, not inward focused. Amen? And if we can help people practically, let, let's do that. If you can support a local food bank, you know, you know, do that. If there's loads of different ways that you can get involved. We had the, remember the guy from the crossings, um, the Waterside Homeless Project. The crossings was here, uh, was about mid-July, wasn't it? But mid-July, he was here, and I know some, some of you already got involved in that on a practical level as well, and that's, 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 that's awesome. Let's be, truly be the hands and feet of Jesus. And Jesus said that whole discourse, and I, I used that, this is the scripture I used when, when I spoke on that morning when the guy from the cross, Andy, was here from the crossings. But you know what Jesus said about, um, you know, about visiting, when you visited a person in prison and you, you've, you've clothed, you know, clothed people and et cetera, et cetera, or, you know, fed people and, and, and people responded to Jesus, well, I don't remember doing any of those things. It's like, no, when you, when you did those things, you did it for me. Amen. So when, when we do those things, we're helping people practically just, just loving on people, just loving our community. We're, we're doing it for Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus in our communities. Praise God. Number 11, we're people who are responsive. So what, what we mean by that is we're responsive to the call of God. We're not people who just want to you know, just sit on our chairs until we go to heaven. You know, heaven's going to be amazing and it truly is going to be amazing. But we're people who are responsive. We're responsive to the call of God. We're, we're, we're never apathetic. We're never just kind of, oh, yeah, well, you know, someone else can do it. No, no, if God's calling me, then God's calling me. Amen? We don't want to be apathetic and passive. We want to be responsive to the, to the call of God and what he desires to do. Because if that means being generous, then, then we're generous. Whatever, whatever that means, it means blessing others, then we bless others. But we're responsive to the call of God. Amen? And number 12, like I said, these aren't in order of importance apart from Christ-centered. Um, now, the final, final, or last but not least, is honourable, like giving honour where, where God is due. We did that this morning about honouring Tasha and Stacey. We, we believe believe in that and honour all the kids' leaders and all the people involved in the recent community stuff. But we believe in honouring others. That is a really, really important uh, value you know, to give honour, honour where where honour is due. Now, of course, we're doing everything for God. People aren't doing things in order to get recognition from the church. I understand that. And I think that, that's, that's a great culture to have. We're servant hearted. That's another one of our values. But do we give honor where honor is due? Absolutely. Amen. Even honoring each other. Amen. And honor your parents and, you know, honoring each other in your, in your marriages and in, in your families. Amen. So these are our 12 family church values. So I'm really excited about this series. I think it's going to be great as we lead up to Christmas. Just talking about each of these. So we'll be talking about Christ-centered, Christ-centered next week. Just keeping Jesus at the center of all that we are. Amen? The world does what the world does, but let's keep Jesus in the middle. Let's keep Jesus at the center. Jesus at the center of our families, our marriages, you know, our, our finances, our, our workplaces, our, our daily devotional life. Let's keep Jesus at the center. Keep Jesus at the middle of it all. Keep his teachings at, at the center of it all. Amen? Be Christ-centered in all that we do as a church and, and, and in our individual lives as a church body, as a, as a church family. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's just pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.
Lord, we just thank you, Lord, as we kind of think about the fact we've been back on Sunday mornings, Lord, for, for a year now, Lord, the year this weekend. Lord, we thank you for all you've done over the last year. Lord, we thank you for, Lord, for, Lord, we've been able to get rid of all the COVID rules, and that's great by itself. But we thank you, Lord, we've been able to meet together on Sunday mornings. Lord, we've been able to praise and worship you together, things that we missed hugely in so many different ways. We've been able to connect with each other, been able to run connect groups again. Lord, all the things, Lord, we've been free to do again. And I thank you for all you've done over the last year, Lord, for every life that's been changed, every life that's been touched. Lord, for every child that's, that's come to know you. Lord, for every adult that's come to know you. For every new person in, in this church. I thank you for all the people, Lord, here this morning who've joined us over the last year. And we thank you for them, Lord, and they're a full part of our church body and our, and our church family. And we thank you for every single one of them. We thank you for what you've done, Lord. And we believe, Lord, there's still so much more ahead. Oh, God. Lord, we're excited about what you're going to do. Lord, I pray, Lord, as we, as we go into this series, Lord God, that, Lord, you'll be helped. Lord, you'll just help us, Lord, just to live by, Lord, the values of your kingdom. Lord, in every area of our, our, our lives, Lord, in our personal lives, Lord, and in us as a church body, a church family, Lord God. Lord, that we will keep you at the center of all. Lord, and we will honor others and be servant-hearted and be a true church family and all those others, Lord, that I've talked about. Lord, there will be great values in our life. Lord, we don't want to just have a default culture. We don't just want to just be laid back and just let life happen to us. We want, Lord, our lives to be all that you desire it to be. Lord, you promised to give us a hope and a future. Lord, but we know that doesn't just happen by accident. Lord, we, Lord just do in us, Lord, what you need to do in us. Do in our church, Lord, what you need to do in us. Lord, change us, guide us, lead us. Lord, whatever you need to do. Correct us, Lord, if we need correcting. But do whatever you desire to do in each and every one of our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're such a great God. Just, Lord, just do all that you desire to do in this church in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, it is your church and always has been. Lord, do what you desire to do here at Waterside, Lord, in all our family church locations. Do what you desire to do, Lord, in your churches all across this area, all across this land. Do what you desire to do. You've promised you would build your church. Lord, fulfill your desires in your church, in this land, in this area, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. So I want to pray a second prayer and just give anyone an opportunity just to respond to the gospel this morning. You know, Wendy shared earlier about how she, how she came to God and she was confused, didn't really understand it all. And, you know, maybe that's where you're right. You don't understand everything that's being said and that's, that's okay. But what you can do this morning is you can just respond in your heart heart to God. You can invite Jesus into your life. You can know what it is to be a Christian. You can know what it is for just to God to, to work in your life, for him to bring his blessing into your life, for him to bring his peace into your life. And if that's you this morning, I just encourage you to pray this prayer and just to mean it with all of your heart. And I guarantee you that, that God will come into your life and will start changing some things in your life, will start changing you. And you'll just know his love and his peace. Let's all just pray this together. Thank you, Jesus. For your amazing love for me. Thank you for coming down to earth 2,000 years ago and for dying on a cross for me, for taking the punishment for anything I could ever do wrong or ever have done wrong. I ask you to forgive me, to make me new. I invite you into my life. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you've never ever prayed a prayer like that before, 
I just encourage you just to, just to pop your hand up now if no one else is looking and just say, yeah, I prayed that prayer. I want Jesus in my life. I, I need Jesus in my life. I, want, I may not understand it all, but I want Jesus. If that's you this morning, just pop your hand up nice and high so I can see it. Thank you, Jesus. It's so good. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, just use us for your purposes. Use us for your glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And use this church, Lord, for your glory. Do all that you desire to do in it and, and through it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I want to praise you. If you go into this series, Lord God, I pray it will be a life-changing series, Lord God, where people come to know you, people's thinking is changed, where we don't conform to the pattern of this world, Lord, we conform to your pattern and what you desire for us. Thank you, Lord God. We look forward to what you're going to do. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.